God's Word this morning. We'll be continuing our series in Genesis chapter 28. The series is called Origins, looking at the promises that God has made to us in His Word. Genesis chapter 28, I'll be reading verse 10 through the end of the chapter, 10 through 22. And the Word of the Lord says this, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. morning, uh, we will look at two things, really, the dream or the vision that Jacob had, and then we'll look at his response. Uh, But the key to this passage, more than anything, is the application this morning. So it's the dream, the the response, and then we'll get to the application. What does this story have to do with us, the people of God, the church? Uh, And I'm excited to get there at the end. As Jared said, if you're tuning in online, we're grateful you're uh, tuning in, you're here in person. We're grateful that you're here with us this morning. Just a few announcements to make before I pray and then dive into God's uh, holy word. Uh, we will have a movie night this Saturday uh, in the parking lot as a drive in. Again, we'll watch uh, Dennis the Menace. The movie will start at 7 o'clock. Uh, so please um, let people know that and come join us uh, for Dennis the Menace Saturday night at 7 p.m. Also on October 4th, this is for all the parents uh, that are um, watching online because you have not wanted to bring your children yet to the church. We will resume Children's Church during uh, the morning service uh, on October the 4th. We're doing everything we can to uh, get the back ready for that and to prepare it and to keep your children safe. Uh, so, And as you who are here in this room, uh, the kids will not have anything to do with this room. They'll get ushered uh, so that those little Petri dishes 
uh, don't infect this building, this part of the building. So they'll stay back there. We will stay in here, uh, but we will resume Children's Church during the message portion, uh, the Sunday morning portion of our service on October the 4th. Um, we will. We have been resuming on Wednesday night here in the building, so uh, we will. We start at 6.15, so please join us in the building at 6.15 on uh, Wednesday nights. We'll also continue to live stream as well. Um, that's all the announcements. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into God's Word uh, in Genesis chapter 28. God, we continue to look to You for all of our guidance and all of our wisdom. You tell us so clearly in the book of John that apart from You, we can do nothing. And that is true for us as the pastor, as the deacons, as we try to lead this church, God, to put all the parameters to keep us safe and protected um, as we desire to gather again as Your people. And uh, we know that Satan is been having a heyday without having the people of God gather as a, as a people in a church. Uh, and yet, God, we're thankful that we have the means to uh, at least tune in online, but that's never the way you designed the church to be. You never designed the church to be uh, separate in homes watching a TV screen. Uh, we see that from the start in Acts, that you had always gathered the people of God to come and worship and to fellowship and to care for one another and to look to You for guidance as we worship You. And so I pray that for us here at Powell's Chapel. I pray that for every church that stands on the Gospel here in our city and around the world, that You would give us uh, just favor and that You would call Your people back uh, to gather again. And that um, You would just give us fear on how to navigate those waters. I pray for us this morning as we look at this passage here in Genesis chapter. 28 verses 10 through 22, that you would open our minds and our eyes and our ears, but more importantly, our hearts to see the gospel message that is so clearly painted in scriptures that gives us hope and power and God redemption that we have a way to you and you have made a way to us. And we're grateful for that. So again, we're thankful for your word. We pray that it would do what only it can do, and that's transform us, sanctify us, and make us more like Christ. As you have called us to be holy, for, for you are holy, you've called us to be holy. And I pray that would be true for us this morning. Lead us, guide us. We offer ourselves to you as a living and holy sacrifice. Pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Before I start this message, I have a question for us. It's a question I've been asking myself a lot lately. And if I'm honest, the, the answer has been the same for the last few weeks. And the question is this, have we ever, have you ever, has the church ever felt distant from God? Like God is nowhere to be found. Like the things in our life are creating something in us that it just feels like God is there, but He's not within our reach. Uh, I know for me, I've felt that way. Like I know God is there and my brain tells me God is there. Like I get that piece. But there's things in my life that prevent me from actually experiencing the presence of God. Like my brain says He's there, my heart says, but He can't be found. I think there's two reasons for this. The first is, is there unrepentant sin? That's where I had to go to first. God, is there sin in my life that is preventing me from being in contact with You? Sin does that. Sin 
breaks our fellowship with God. And so if there's distance in your life, if there's distance in my life, the first place I have to look is there sin in my life that has broken relationship with God. And for me, the answer is no. There's no unrepented sin in my life that's causing there to be distance in my life. The second one is this. And maybe this is where you're at this morning. Is that you and I are like Job and we're under the attack from Satan. And Satan wants us to doubt God's existence, to doubt God's closeness. Because Satan knows if he can get us to doubt the closeness of God, then we'll wander off and do things on our own. We'll look to our own power rather than God's power to make it through this. And I just wonder if for us, church, if we're being attacked by Satan, and that's the reason we feel distant from God. In this passage, we'll see the answer to this question for Jacob. Why was he so lonely? The answer is simple. The answer is that he had unrepented sin in his life. If you remember where we find Jacob here in the story of chapter 28, he had just done this wicked thing. He had deceived his brother. He had deceived his blind father for the, the birthright and the blessing. And he had tricked both his dad and his brother and even used the name of God to, to make sure those two things happened. He had doubted the promises of God. He had doubted the faithfulness of God. He doubted that God was really going to stick to His Word. And so he took matters into his own hands. And he deceived himself. He deceived God. He deceived his brother. He deceived his father. And now we see that Jacob is on the run. Remember where we left off that Esau was so angry at Jacob. And he said, Esau says to himself, I cannot wait for the day I get to kill my brother Jacob. I'll be delighted in that. And remember his crafty mother heard that and says to Jacob, hey, you've you got to run for your life. I'm going to send you back to my homeland. I'm going to send you back to my brother Laban and stay there so this will all pass away. As we looked and saw and heard last week that he never sees his mother again. And he's on the run for over 20 years. He's running from God. Remember where the promise was to take place. The promise was to take place for the life of Jacob in where? The promised land. And now in verse 10, it says this, Jacob left Beersheba, or Jacob left the promised land, and he went towards Haran. That, that name ought to be familiar to you. Remember, that's where Abraham's father had settled. He had called Abraham out and they began to, to move. His father settles in Haran. And so now he's running back away from the promise, away from the promised land, some 500 miles away. And I wonder for us, like Jacob, like Jonah, when God speaks to us and tells us to stay put, when we sin against God, do we not often run as far away from God as possible? Like That's what happened here in Jacob's life. He's running from the presence of God. Like There had to have been something going on in his heart, that conviction that comes only from the Holy Spirit, and he's trying to outrun God's conviction on his life. He runs from the presence of God. The gratefulness as we'll see in this passage, no matter how hard you run, how fast you run, how far you run, you will never outrun the promises of God. And you'll never outrun the presence of God. 
That's what happens here in Jacob's life. Jacob is trying to run, trying to flee the presence of God. And so that's where we pick up in the story. He's fleeing from God. How lonely of a time that must have been. Now, I I have gone 500 miles. I've never walked 500 miles. I guess I could sing a song about that, but that would be terrible on my end. You wouldn't want to hear that. But here Jacob is. He's fleeing from God 500 miles away. Remember, at this point, he's not married. He has no family. So it's just him alone wandering the desert. It had to be a lonely, lonely journey. If you've ever been by yourself for a long period of time, I've been watching this show called Alone. And people literally go crazy. Like I'm watching, I'm like, man, you need to like call in and get taken out because your brain is going crazy. Some of the things they do, say, think, I'm like, man, you're going cray-cray. And I wonder if that's what's happening in Jacob's head. Like his thoughts are getting to him finally. What says here that he came to a certain place. Three times we see in this passage, a certain place, a certain place, a certain place. And we'll see that certain place is the presence of God. And it says on his journey, he came to that certain place. It became that the sun was setting. It became evening. And he takes a stone from the land to make a pillow. And goes to lay down to escape his thoughts. I don't know about you, but when I'm alone and my brain starts playing those tricks, the only thing I really want to do is just go to sleep. We see that in the life of Jonah. Remember, he's running from God. And where do we find Jonah? He's, we find him at the bottom of the boat sleeping. He's dead asleep. Remember when the, the, the stress of Jesus going to the cross, where do we find His disciples? Dead asleep. Sleep is one of those few places that it seems like the mind can be calmed, and yet we'll see how often that's not true. And so here, here he is, Jacob, on the run, finds a pillow to sleep, and it says he laid down in verse 12, and then he had a dream. I want to show five things that jump out on the page to us in this dream. Five things that the Lord is going to Revealed to Jacob through his dream. Let's look at that passage. Let's look at verse 13. So here he is. He falls asleep. Verse 12, it says he had a dream and behold, there was a ladder. Circle that in your Bible. We're going to come back to that. That's the application piece to this text. That word is the most important word in all the text. A ladder. Set up on earth. And the top of it reached heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So here in the dream, we we see Jacob seeing this vision from God. And there's this ladder that connects the heavens to the earth. And what he sees is these angels going up and down. It's, It's the idea that the angels are coming from heaven to earth to minister to the world. And then it says this in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The first thing that we see, the first promise that we see in this text 
is that God is always present. Even when Jacob is running for his life from the presence of God, his first thing that he sees in his dream is the presence of God. In Jacob's darkest hour, remember, Jacob was not looking from God, looking for God. He was running from God. And what's the first thing that he sees? God was looking for him and found him in that certain place. Remember, he was trying to escape God. He was trying to run from his life. And yet we see God come looking for him. Now again, I could pause in the application just for this morning is this. When you run from God, you'll never run from God. You cannot outrun God's presence. God always searches for His people. Remember what it tells us in Luke chapter 15. Even when the, the younger son ran away and squandered all he has. What, what, did the, what does it say? That every day that the, the father, God, went looking and to, to see if the son would come home. That is true for us this morning. You see, it starts with us seeing God. That the rest of the passage has to do with what happened in the heart of Jacob when he saw God. Because when we see God, we'll see who we really are. We'll see our great need. We'll see our great dependence. We'll see who we are because of who God is. And then we'll come to believe that God can truly meet all of our needs. And so for you and me this morning, if you're running from God or don't feel God's presence, the truth is this. God is always near. Remember what Jesus said. He said, when two or three gather in my name, where is he? He's right with us. And so the promise this morning is we've gathered in this house and God is with us in this place. Amen. God's presence is with us. Hold on to that. That is what I'm holding on to this morning. The next thing that we see in this passage about this dream is this. The Lord reassures Jacob of his mighty plan for the promised land. He says this in verse 13. He says, In the land which you lie, I will give you and to your offspring. So God is going to say to him, Hey, I have a promised land for you. I have a promised land for my people. I have a land flowing with milk and honey. I have a desire for you to live in prosperity with me. Because where God is, we will prosper. And I don't mean you'll get all that you desire. I just mean the presence of God will be with you and God is in a certain place. And so he tells him again, I'm reassuring my, my plan for this land, the land of promise. He wants to do special things in that place. So he reassures his plan of the, the promised land. The next thing that we see is this that the Lord reassures him of his plan for his offspring in verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And your offspring shall be of all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he reminds him of the promise he made to Abraham. Through you, Abraham, I will bless the nation. I'll pour out my blessing on you, not because of anything you've done, but simply because of what I've done for you. The blessings will be poured out on you. God is saying, I will create 
a nation, a chosen nation, that I will do miraculous things through. And then again, in the next thing that we see is God reassures them that all the nations will be blessed through Jacob, through Isaac, through Abraham, that God will remain faithful to His promise to bring about a mighty nation that will bring salvation to the world. So he's saying that this nation is going to bring salvation to the world. We know that to be Christ Jesus. That, that through this lineage, through this family, that God has chosen from the foundations of the world, that God will bless the nations for us, for our salvation, for our reconciliation back to God, for ultimately our salvation through Christ Jesus. But it doesn't stop with, stop with Christ Jesus. It goes to the church. That then God is going to choose the church to bring salvation to the world. We are a fulfillment of the chosen race of Israel to be the chosen church to bring salvation to lost people. Do we believe that to be true this morning? The last one I think is the most powerful one of all of them. Yes, God... We see the Lord. Yes, we're reassured of the promise of the chosen land. Yes, there's promises of the offspring. Yes, the world will be blessed through His offspring. But this is, for me, the the greatest promise. We see it in verse 15. And then He said, after He'll bless the nations through Jacob, He says this, Behold, or take notice, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. The last promise that we see in this dream is this. The Lord will always be with Jacob. We see that God came to Jacob and made a promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Does that not sound like a promise that's been fulfilled in the New Testament? Here's what is also true in this passage. Remember back in Genesis chapter 11. If you remember Genesis chapter 11, what was it? The people of God were trying to get to God. They were trying to be with God. They had done their own merit to build this tower to get to God so that they could always be with God. And what happens? That plan is thwarted by God. And He's saying to the people, there's nothing that you can do first and foremost, to be with me. It's me choosing to be with you, not you choosing to be with me. I am making a promise to be with you. And so now here, God flips upside down the the Tower of Babel and says, hey, what you wanted to do in Genesis chapter 11, I'm fulfilling in Genesis chapter 28. I will always be with you. You cannot come to me. You cannot build a tower. You cannot build a ladder high enough to get to me. I must intervene so I can get to be with you. Because the promise of being together rests on me, not on you. Amen to that? Thank God. It doesn't depend on me. God's presence with me. Or God would never be present with me if it depended on me. But it depends on Him. So God made a ladder to reach heaven, to come to earth. And he's saying there's nothing that you can do to separate that. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 30. 
9. I'll read the passage. He says this, Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, shall any of that separate us from the presence of God? He said it is written, For your sake, we are being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that will separate us from the presence of God. Because God is actively pursuing us even when we're not pursuing Him. Remember, Jacob was not actively pursuing the Lord. He was running from the Lord. And God showed up and said, Hey, I know you're running from me, but I will always be here and I will always be with you. Amen? Thank God for that. And that is true for us today. And now let's look at his response, Jacob's response to this dream, to these promises. It starts in verse 16. It says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. And this is what he says, Surely the Lord was what? In this place. He was here. And I didn't even know it. Jacob woke up and said, God has always been here. I couldn't perceive it because of my sin. I didn't see the presence of God and he awakes and then he says, God's always been here. Is that not true for us? God is always there with us. Even when we do not perceive it. So he says to himself, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. We see three responses. The first is found in verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is no other than the house of God, Bethel. And this is the gate of heaven. The first response we see when he comes into the presence of God is fear. He fears the Lord. You see, when we see God, our first response must be fear. Almost every time in the Bible, when people see God, their first response is fear. And that's not a fear of trepidation. That's a fear of reverence, a fear of respect. Because they see God for who He really is. Which then awakens them to who they really are. If we, as God's people, are sinful people, we get into the presence of a holy God, it will reveal to us our sinfulness, which ought to put us flat on our face in respect for who God is. I wonder for you, I wonder for me, I wonder for us, the church, is our first response when we see God a place of reverence and fear. Would it be what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5? In Isaiah chapter 6 is where Isaiah is taken into heaven in his spirit. 
And he, he sees the throne room of God. He sees the presence of God. He sees the cherubim and the seraphim worshiping God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it says this is his response to seeing the presence of God. It's a place of fear. He saw who he really was. Isaiah said this, woe is me. For I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Has that been true of you? Has that been true of me? Has that been true of the church? Have we seen the God of the universe? And we would say, woe is me. I am a sinner that must fall out before God. Because now we see the next response when we have fear. Fear will always lead us to what happens for Jacob. He said early in the morning, verse 18, early in the morning he took that stone that he had put under his head for a pillow and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on the top of it and called the place Bethel, which means the house of God. The second thing that we see, his response is, first he fears the Lord, but then he worships the Lord. Does your fear and does my fear bring us to a place to worship God? He set up a pillar and poured oil on it and worshiped the God Almighty. Have you had an encounter with God? Have I had an encounter with God? Have we, the church, had an encounter with God? that leads us to worship Him. My, my prayer has been this, that every Sunday we would come in here with fear, but our fear would put us both in our, our posture, laid out before God to worship Him holy. Both holy and holy. Our response would be holy worship to God which will lead us to the last place. So we'll lead with fear that leads us to worship. That lastly, we will live a life of what? Sacrifice. That's what it says in the verse. He first sacrifices all of his oil. All of his oil was his medication, by the way. Like when people got cuts and bruises, they would pour oil onto themselves to, to heal themselves. Remember, he's on this long journey. They didn't have comfortable shoes. They had busted up sandals. So he would use that oil to anoint his feet to continue his journey. And yet he makes a sacrifice of his oil before God. He sacrifices all he has. And then he makes a promise about being more sacrificial. So he makes that sacrifice of the oil. And then it says this in verse 22. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be the house of God. It shall be the place that I worship. And when I come to worship, he says this, and I will give you all that I have, a tenth of all that I have. The reading is literally this. And of all that you give me, I'll give you a full tenth to what you've given me. This is the promise of the tithe that carries over into the New Testament. I would ask us this. 
does our fear lead us to worship, to lead us to live sacrificial? Not just our pocketbooks. Though that's what happens here for Jacob. But do we live sacrificially to give a tenth of all that God has given to us? Do we give back to God what God has richly given to us? Now you may ask the question, and this is the application for today, what does this have to do with us? What does it mean that we fear God, that we worship God, and that we live sacrificially? Remember I said the key word in the text is the word ladder. Remember what Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says. The writer of Hebrews says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, all those writings, Christ has now come and fulfilled in Himself. So how does the latter have to do with the fulfillment of God through Christ Jesus? Jesus is going to make the connection. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 51. This is the place I had never seen till studying this passage this week. And it blew my mind. John chapter 1 remembered that the writer of John is talking about God. Talking about Christ Jesus. He's talking about he, God became flesh and dwelt among us in chapter 1. And then John sees Him in verse 29 and says, Jesus is coming. Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist is preparing the people to see who Christ Jesus really is. If I'm not mistaken here in this last text, Jesus, for the first time in the Gospel of John, tells us who He is. He begins to call His disciples to Himself. Let's look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And He found Philip and said to him, Follow Me. And Philip was with, was from Bethsaida, the, the, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Then Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about. Remember that God had been revealing to us who Jesus was through the prophets. We saw that in Hebrews. Now, now the disciples say, hey, remember what the prophets and who the prophets were talking about. We found Him. Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know who I am. And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. And Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And then Jesus said this, Nathanael is awakened to who Jesus is. Jesus still has not totally revealed Himself to the last piece of this verse. And Jesus answered him, because I have said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And you will see greater things than these. 
And now he's going to tell them the greater things he sees. Greater things than these you will see. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God, what? Ascending and descending. He's making the connection about who he is to Genesis chapter 28. He's saying you will see the heavens open the same way that Jacob saw the heavens open and God was descending and ascending and ministering to the people. He says, I am that person. I am the ladder. He says to him, you will see the angels ascending and descending where? On who? The Son of God. I am the ladder. I am the bridge to God, to the earth. The first time that Jesus tells us who He is, He says, I am the mediator between God and sinful people. Thank God for Christ Jesus being our ladder, the only way to God. He is our ladder. He is what God provided to mediate for us. To be our mediator. To stand in the gap so sinful people could have a bridge to God. And that mediator will stand in our defense before a holy God. That's what the writers of the New Testament say. We are sinful people. We will always be guilty unless we have a mediator that declares us righteous before God. He is our ladder. Jesus says this about Himself. Remember what it says. It says this in the text that Jacob saw the gateway to heaven He's also the gate to heaven. Not only is He the ladder to heaven, but He's the entrance to heaven. He says that to us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and few will find it, but I am the gate. He tells us that again in John. So He's our ladder, and He's our gate. But this is what Paul tells us about being our gate and being our ladder. He's also, as I said before, he is our mediator. First Timothy chapter two, verses five and six. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The reason that we respond in fear the reason that we respond in worship, the reason that we respond through sacrifice is because Christ Jesus is our ladder. He is our mediator. Have you placed your hope and faith in that, the mediator, from us, a sinful people, to a holy and righteous God? Because I promise this, when you place your hope and faith in Him, you will want to fall out in fear before God you will want to worship God holy. And you will want to live sacrificially. Christ Jesus is our mediator. He is our ladder to God. Amen, amen, amen. Let us pray. Christ Jesus, I am so grateful that you are the ladder, that you are the mediator, that you, through your life, through your death, and ultimately your resurrection, became the way, the only way. For you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And no one comes to the Father except through me. We are grateful that you are our ladder to God the Father. I'm so thankful for that. There's not a ladder I could build. There's not a bridge, a chasm that I could conquer without you, Christ Jesus. You are the great mediator. You both bridge the gap and stand in our defense before a holy God. May we live lives of fear and reverence that would lead us to worship. That then we would lead lives of sacrifice because of all that You've done for us. You are a great and kind and gentle God. May we always serve You. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you'd stand for the benediction this morning. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. And how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might repay? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen and Amen. Grace and peace be with you. Remember Saturday night at 7 o'clock we'll have a movie night. And then again this building will be open for Wednesday night service. Grace and peace to you this morning.